Welcome in, A2S, according to sources, I'm your guy, SD2 Mikes, a guy with me at Mr. Crawford D, hit him up on Instagram, he is the agitator, none other than Brian Crawford, and then I got my boy, Chris Kaysen, C4 Dunk, Instagram, Twitter, get at us, follow us, let us know what you think of the podcast and previous podcasts. What about the jump right into it, the Chicago Bulls, man, in a place where most people are no longer fans, and if they are fans, they're in a place of apathy with this organization. It is laughable. It is at a place where I'll just put this question out to both you guys right now. Is this the worst era? Is it worse than the Tim Floyd era? I'll say yes. That's because you had the Tim Floyd era to learn from. And I think what this regime and that, this can go for Chicago, uh, you know, sports organization as a whole. I think the fans are almost loyal to a fault. So if you're the Bulls, you know, you had your, your run in the 90s. But one thing you can count on is, you know, those tickets are still going to sell out because you have season ticket holders who don't want to lose their spot and you have people on five, six, a 10-year waiting list to become season ticket holders. And that's just because of, you know, what that era in the 90s brought. That, that kind of that nostalgia is still there as a brand, as a whole brand, you know, definitely, you know, suffered over the last years. But I would definitely say this one is probably the worst just because you had the Temploy era to learn from. And I don't think, you, you really don't see anything really worth holding on to. I mean, it's hope now and for what they were back in the 90s and, you know, the short success with the Thibodeau era and now, like, you sh- you want more. I mean, and even looking at the pieces they have now, you're hoping, you know, something becomes something. I mean, you shouldn't be – we're talking about Chicago. You, you really wouldn't – think that, you know, this fan base would be hoping for, you know, a top one, two, or three draft pick for consecutive years now. So I would definitely say this one probably is the worst. I think it's the worst, you know, simply simply just because of the optics of it. You know, it's like this team, the Tim Floyd era was really bad, but it was coming off of Six championships, so that was kind of like the expectation. Like you know, when Mike and Scotty and Phil left, nobody expected these guys to be great. Nobody expected them to be good. But with this, this is a little bit different. And what makes it worse is simply because, you know, in this particular era of the Chicago Bulls, you have seen like, like the facade of the organization like just completely come apart. Like you know even. The Bulls is one of like the, the the a global brand, you know, not just the NBA brand, but like everybody knows the Chicago Bulls. But now it's just like you know how they operate, you know their business, and they have a very bad reputation, you know. So they've hurt themselves in terms of 
the product they put on the floor, but also in being able to recruit free agents. Like, you know, you're never going to get another hometown guy there, um, you know, and you'd be hard-pressed to get another superstar to come there just because of the way they've actually treated guys. And so the whole Michael Jordan era and, and, and the greatness of that is gone now. Like, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Now it's just all about guard packs and the front office being the same and these guys kind of doing the same thing. So this error is is worse to me because they've ruined the reputation of the franchise. That's interesting. You Basically, you're saying that the brand, we all know the brand basically was one man. And the renaissance of that brand was the Derrick Rose era until he got injured. But what you're saying now is everything is so bad that now the Gar Packs, the Gar Packs brand has really just taken over and washed over what once was a very proud and championship organization to most people. Yeah, I mean, because I mean that's pretty much what the Bulls have boiled down to is Gar Pack. Like nobody really cares about what's going on in the court anymore. You know, all the attention and all of the spotlight is on the front office, and that spotlight is bright is because you know you've seen a lot of changes in the front offices and. and you know, across the league, and the Bulls are the only one that have basically stayed pat with these same group of people, and they haven't gotten any better. They've gotten actually worse, and people are saying, well, you know, how much time are we going to give them? And like I said, in that, you know, you've mistreated a guy like Derrick Rose. You know, you've mistreated a guy like Jabari Parker. And you've done all this in the midst of another hometown guy coming up for free agency that now you have no chance to get. So, yeah, I mean, you know, just just the luster of the organization, just the luster of the franchise, the luster of, you know, just everything about the Bulls, that's all, it's over with. It's a wrap. And that's crazy. Now, with you saying that, I'm going to throw something at you guys. Let's talk about the Derrick Rose injury, game one against the 76ers. Then let's say the D-Wade and Rondo signings, the firing of Thibodeau, the firing of Hoiberg, and the hiring of Jim Boylan. Out of all of that, which one is just straight up rock bottom where you were like, you know what, this right here is the clear sign that this organization is at rock bottom. I mean, was it? Can you go all the way back to Derek's injury and just say, yep, it was there, even though we might not have thought it was going to be there from that point? Or was it really when they hired Jim Boylan and you started to get the sense that, you know what, are they just out and out trying to tank or just trying to get this thing to go to the bottom? Uh, I think, uh, you know, Rose injury is kind of like that little trickle of like the the avalanche and things just starting to go downward from that part. I mean, you know, somebody's body, but even then that can go, when you have a talent like that, I always said this, the Bulls never did enough to, you know, get that second guy there to take pressure off of this guy. We look at Rose's first three years. I believe he had only missed a total maybe like five games. And this was a guy who was playing a lot of minutes, played one way, and it was hard throughout. I mean, that played injury. MVP, MVP, you talked about exactly. it a lot of times, yeah. Yeah, played play through injury. I mean, that lockout shortened year, there were times where – you know, just as a media guy, you never really want to tell a guy when they shouldn't play. But, you know, there were meaningless games on that schedule. And, like, his whole mindset was continue pushing because he didn't want people to think the MVP year was a fluke. So he's trying to prove something to himself. But 
amongst all of that, you look at the moves made to get that second guy in here. You know, his starting shooting guard was, you know, Keith Bogans. You had Ronnie Brewer, you know, backing him up. And then you look at, you get a, you know, kind of just out of his way, out of his prime, uh, Rip Hamilton to pair with him, like, towards the back end of that. So I just think that started it. I mean, and now when you look at, you know, you hire a guy, Jim Boylan, who comes in and does almost exactly the same thing as a guy that you had fired a few seasons prior in Thibodeau. So you go from one extreme to a lesser extreme at Hoiberg. Now you go right back to another extreme, you know, to Jim Boylan. And you can kind of see how the players have responded to that. I mean, the Bulls right now as constructed are not bad enough to where the Atlanta Hawks should be coming in here and whooping them, you know, by 20. I mean, we shouldn't be having close games with the Cleveland Cavaliers who are basically telling everybody that we're tanking. There shouldn't be any close games like at all, but you know, that's kind of what the culture has been said. You look at the last what three, three years, this has been the culture. It's like, Hey, we're going to, develop our young guys. We're going to kind of sit guys who can, you know, have some impact on winning. And you just see the product on the floor. There's nothing, there's no reason for people to go to Bulls games anymore. I mean, you know, those stands, you know, it still might be looked at as a sellout in terms of tickets sold. But, you know, you just look at February, March, when you start to see all these red seats. I mean, nobody's coming to games anymore. You have people trying to pawn tickets off like outside and amongst friends because there's nothing worth watching if, you know, you have young guys like Markinen and Levine, but they're still developing. There's no reason to go watch a Bulls game anymore unless, you know, depending on who's coming in to town that night. But, you know, just going back to your question, I really think the Rose injury, uh, the ACL, that was just a trickle of everything because it was something they couldn't have, prepare for but it was also they didn't do that much to maximize that small window they have and just trying to get another talent here I always thought that's where they fell short and you know Rose you know you know pretty much fell by the wayside that just the way his body betrayed him because he was used to playing a certain way Tibbs was a hard person coach and we have you know those two elements the Together, you just look at all those guys whose body just started breaking down. Him, Joe Kim, and now you look at what they have now. That's just like the start of everything. I think it was a Rose injury, but I don't think it had nothing to do with anything basketball-related. I mean, you know, everything that Chris named was factual. You know, they didn't they didn't do a whole lot to get him that second player. You know, it was everything. You know, his, his second superstar was always by committee. Um, but I think where everything went left was just how they treated them. I think I think the Bulls front office and the management and the you know and, and you know just the team in general underestimated the type of love that Derek got from his peers around the league, you know? And they sat back and saw it just like we all did. It's like, yo, like why y'all treating this dude like this? Like he's from there. You know what I'm saying? Like he is from the city that he plays in like you would think that he would get a little bit better treatment so the way that the city you know the way that the team kind of threw him under the bus almost and then the way that the city turned on him like 
people have to understand, like, these guys in the league, yeah, they play basketball, but they paying attention to all of this. You know, they talking back and forth amongst each other about all of this. And so when you got these conversations and the players are your commodity and you basically making yourself look bad to them, then you basically hung yourself. So mistreating Derrick Rose like the worst thing that you could like, – like, like the Bulls could have ever done because he doesn't have any enemies in the league. He doesn't have any people in the league that don't like him. He's got a bunch of dudes in the league that respect him. So when you mistreat that dude, I mean, nobody's going to want to come and play for you. And then you repeat that same thing with another hometown guy in Jabari Parker. So it's like now this is a pattern. Like this is not like an isolated thing. Like now it just becomes apparent. Like this is how you treat your hometown guys. And, you know, and even with the Dwayne Wade situation, that was a little bit weird. But And I'm not saying he necessarily got mistreated, but he got up out of here too. So, you know, you, you take all of them things. And like I said, it's, it's really all about the way that the organization moves that hurts them more than anything they do on the court. The on-the-court product is trash. Yes, it sucks, we know, and, you know, that's due to coaching issues. But, again, everything circles back. Their whole problem circles back to their front office. And until they fix that, they I mean, like Chris said, nobody's coming to games. Like, why would you come to – like, why would you come and watch this? Why would you spend money on this? Structurally, we know the chances of guard packs being moved, John Paxson – you know, he spoke recently and said, you know, if it gets to a point where he feels like he can no longer do the job at a respectable level, he would remove I'm not going to defend myself. I, I'm confident in who I am. I understand that this business is very, very fragile. I mean, we had a great thing going when Derek was healthy, MVP of the league, and then he goes down. There's nothing you can do about that, nothing. And, and Derek, with us, was never the same player. He's having a great year this year, which is, is wonderful to see. But things can change in this business in, in one day. And, but I'm confident that what we did uh, two summers ago in terms of trading Jimmy to start getting younger players and trying to build that way, I'm confident that was the right decision then. I'm confident it's the right decision now. And I, I believe in our decision-making in terms of the draft that we've, we've had the last couple of years and the direction we can, we can take this thing. So I, I get it. I, I'm, Jerry Reinsdorf told me when he first gave me the job that, uh, you know, I come off <clears throat> playing and winning championships with the Bulls, and I'm doing the radio, and he said, everybody loves you now. He said, once you take this job, they're not going to love you anymore. I get it. Uh, but I'm confident in the decisions that I'm making for this organization. I'm confident in the leader that I am uh, for the, the people that, that I work with and, and work uh, under me. And so I'm going to keep doing the things that are in the best interest of the Bulls. And I will tell you, the day that I feel I'm not, I'll walk into I'll walk into Jerry's office and I'll tell him so and I'll walk away. Uh, so that that's just how that's the person I am. That's how I feel and I'm always going to feel that way. Gar Foreman has some news of somebody. We know he's really close with Michael Ryan'sdorf. You spoke about three Chicago guys who seem to have become scapegoats in certain instances for the organization when they were trying to get out of a situation. When you spoke of Derek, when you spoke of Jabari, and when you spoke of Dwayne Wade, in a sense. When he was making a scapegoat along with Jimmy Butler as far as them isolating themselves and everything. Have they lost a connection with basketball and the game that it has become and evolved into? Because we know that they've always felt like organizations win championships and not players. And in a league where the players have a lot more power than the players in the 80s and the early 90s did, has this organization 
chosen not to evolve and get on board to be able to attract players and get players to want to play in this city? I think they have mistakenly gambled on their history and their past success, Um, and they have foolishly thought that would be enough to be attracted to people. And that's that's mind-boggling to me for both of you all because even if you win six, you're nowhere near the Lakers or the Celtics. Even if you win those six, you're nowhere near. And then – as you're going, as you're heading on, and you get to Derrick Rose, the Spurs are right on your heels. So you would think you would have some type of motivation to say, you know what, let's figure this thing out. And maybe they would have figured it out if Derrick hadn't got hurt. But we're at this place, and things haven't leveled off or even gotten better a little bit. They have declined consistently. Well, I mean, you know what? Let's just really, really be honest about this. Like everything that I talked about, how like you know how they treated Derrick you know, and how they treated Jabari and Dwayne. We can go back further. This all started with Michael Jordan. Like, stuff about this front office and this organization has been going around the league for the better part of 15 years. And it all started with how they treated Mike. And nobody can understand how, how Mike could win six championships and be one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the game and in the world and not have ties to the team and the city that basically that he put on the map, on the basketball map. You know, so that right there, like, was like the start of it. And so they never fixed it. And they made that particular problem worse. So now, you know, again, it's all about perception. It's all about optics. It's all about how you move, how you operate. And the Bulls have a, have a reputation that isn't very flattering around the league with both players and agents. So now you got a situation where you got guys, you know what I'm saying, you got representation who will purposely steer their players away from here just because of those things. So, you know, the question now becomes, like, how much is the front office actually invested in upholding the brand and the tradition of the Chicago Bulls? And I would argue not very much. Yeah, and I'll go, um, I'll talk to, you know, just, uh, you know, just a former coach that came here had been on one of the coaching staffs and we talked about it and like the one thing that has to change before you see any change from that front office as far as like, you know, bringing in a new name or for there even to be like fear of like job security is the bottom line has to be affected. So we're not talking about just like the optics of just all of those red seats. We're talking about like fans just finding something else to do, like besides boys games, like just not spending money anymore. And I think when that happens, that kind of you know will like it will turn some heads, or at least get the attention of you know the elder Reinsdorf. I mean, and even looking at you know just running into the younger Reinsdorf. I mean, this losing like sucks to him. I've seen him very frustrated, just pacing the hallways of that United Center. So it's going to become a – I don't think another season like this can happen because, you know, you can't just put a coach out there just to say this rah-rah stuff because, you know, just listen to Boylan. You, you run out of stuff to say. You can't keep selling the media garbage and, you know, expect us to continue to write favorable things about it because it's obvious that – Team really isn't playing as hard as for whatever reason. I mean, you go back to Hoiberg and say what you 
well about them. The fact that they are way worse defensively and in terms of effort while having a fuller roster under this guy who was brought in to like preach this effort on defense, to preach hard playing. The fact that they're playing way worse under him with a full complement of players, that speaks volumes to a lot of things. And then you're going to bring this guy in for another full season? I don't think that can happen. But uh, just going back to what BC says, I think where this organization has failed is thinking that that luster from that 90s era means anything to these guys now. You look at your superstars now, they're like 26, they're 25. I mean, the guys that are coming up now, I mean, they don't remember Jordan. They remember Kobe, LeBron more so than they remember Jordan. Jordan is just pretty much a guy that, you know, sold shoes. They had hot shoes that they wanted. They don't remember those years at all. So what's your selling points now when you sit across from, you know, one of these franchise changing talents? What do you say to them? What do you sell them on? It can't be culture because the culture of this organization hasn't been set, you know, since Tibbs left. Now, so I don't know. know. I don't know. That's that's crazy you say that because we're going to talk about this a little bit later, a poll that was posted on ESPN 1000 last week that we actually put up and ran for about a week. And we asked fans, is high school sports, high school basketball more important than college basketball in the city of Chicago? And I was astounded that it was 80% to 20 for high school basketball. And I was like, yo, that's crazy. And I think about this situation. Is there a connection between what we've seen over the last 10 to 12 years with kids especially from that golden era of high school basketball with D. Rose probably up to, what, Jabari and Jaleel, where guys wanted to get out of the state. Loyalty meant nothing to them. And now yeah. we're seeing all these Chicago guys, they, they have no loyalty to the Chicago Bulls. You would think they grew up when they were smaller saying, man, I want to play for the Bulls. But it seems like everything, all of that is dissipated. There is no line. There is no connection. There is no sports umbilical, umbilical cord to connect Chicago kids not only to the college or the college programs, but the Chicago Bulls themselves. But this is the Bulls' fault, and it goes back to the very thing that Chris said and what I said in the beginning. The Bulls are hanging on their legacy in the 90s. Chris just said it. The average superstar right now is 25, 26. Guess who that player was watching? Derrick Rose. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, when they was in high school, they was watching D-Rose. When they was in college, they was watching D-Rose. And so they saw how the Bulls treated D-Rose. So it doesn't matter what you did in the night. If you take care of that dude and Derrick Rose for a span of, what, three, four years was that dude. If you take care of him and you treat him right, you now have connected with your new core fan base, like your new audience. The old heads like us from 20 years ago, we don't matter no more. Like, we, you, like you're not trying to appeal to us no more. Now you're trying to connect with this new and younger fan base. And that's where this front office has gone wrong. They have completely, they, like, they are out of touch with how basketball is culturally now. You know, so, you know, they'll come in and they'll do all the analytic stuff and, 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 and everything like that. But they still can't connect with the players on the court. And the culture of the Chicago Bulls, and you, you said it at the very beginning, son, is has always been organizations win championships. So this 
the attitude has already has always been you need us, we don't need you. But now that's starting to backfire on them. And that attitude has basically not only lost them hometown guys, but has lost them clout with, you know, just basketball fans and basketball players who are now coming up who have seen this firsthand and they'll be like, yo, like, I don't want to go there and play. Like, for what? They don't treat their players right. You know what, Chris, you mentioned something. You, you talked about seeing Michael Ryansdorf walking the tunnels, um, looking sad and looking uh, disappointed with the, the effort and the organization and where it is. Let me ask you a question. It's his own fault. It's his own fault. Yeah. Let me say that on record. There was another team, another organization that calls the United Center home that had a father-son ownership situation. And once the father, God, God rest his soul, Bill Wirtz, passed away, and Rocky Wirtz got full control of that team, you start to see major changes to the brand of the Chicago Blackhawks that made a bigger impact on the ice mm-hmm. and off the ice. When you look at one Michael Reinsdorf, are you looking at a guy that's waiting his turn to have full control, to be able to make changes that he feels like he might not be able to make with his father in, in control right now? No, I I think yes, yes and no, because I know everything still, you know, final say-so still goes to the elder Ryan Stewart, but he pretty much stays out of the way through most part. But I know no organizational changes happen without him saying yes or no to that. And, you know, not advocating, you know, somebody to be completely going out of the picture. I think if the younger Ryan Stewart had full total control, there'd be – you know, some there'll be like some more like aggressive moves, especially just with this fan base. You gotta remember this was a guy who was growing up amongst those times. He knows what it's like when this organization is winning. He knows what the vibe of the city is when it's like that. I think the Elder Reinsdorf is kind of way out of touch with that just because it's business to him. I think for the younger Reinsdorf, you know, just bringing friends to the game and stuff like that. He's not bringing any colleagues to, you know, sit at a Bulls game now at all. So I do think, you know, you know, whatever happens, I think if he had just full control, I think there would be some change. And I don't think, you know, this will just continue going on in this cycle now and just continue repeating this rebuilding process year after year because, I mean, this is not the market to do that. There's no reason why – Markets like OKC and like even Sacramento now. Like, who would have thought Sacramento would start to you know look better in terms of like just developing talent and actually having some stability right now than the Bulls? It's kind of crazy. But um, just going back to answer that question, I do think there would be you know some changes made if the younger Ryan Storff had like full control. All right, BC, you want to continue? You say flat out no. You don't think. The organization would change direction at all, huh? Well, I think, I mean, that's the second question that has to be asked on that is the problem with, within the Ryan, the, the Reinsdorf family has always been divided loyalties. They have two teams, right? So hmm. we know that Jerry Reinsdorf is a baseball guy. Do we know that Michael Reinsdorf is a basketball guy? Do we know that? Like, is it, it like, like, is the frustration of, you know, of him pacing back and forth in the hallway of United Center because, He's upset with losing, or is the frustration because he's up? He's seeing all of the empty seats, and he's upset with losing money. So 
that's the question like you got to ask with the Ryansdorf family because they have a baseball and a basketball team, and we know that Jerry Ryansdorf has like unequivocally said that baseball is his first love. I mean, he came into the game on the Steinbrenner. You know, he said that one World Series championship meant more to him than the six NBA championships. So, with that being said, does Michael Ryansdorf have that same attitude? Because now, you know, over the past two years, it seems like, like even though the stocks have sucked. The Bulls have still been more been like the hobby. You know what I'm saying? It's always been like, yeah, you know, yeah, we got this other team over here too. Even though this this team that you treat like a stepchild is actually more popping than your baseball team that you love so much. Like this basketball team is way bigger than that baseball team, but not to the not to the owners. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's opposite. So the Bulls will never get back to that place that they were, I mean, unless they luck up on, you know, a genius DM like Krause, they luck up on great players like Mike and Scotty and, you know, and Dennis. Like, unless those things, like, unless those stars all align again, I don't see this franchise getting back to that glory with the way that they operate because of that divided loyalty. Are you disappointed, Chris, with the lack of development that you've seen from Laurie marketing this year? Or can you just place it solely on the culture, kind of hampering him? And his uh, I'm, you know, and that's the thing. He's good enough to where you look, let's say you don't watch the game and you just go look at, you know, his numbers. You, you'll you think like, oh, damn, he had a good night. But the fact, the way he gets his points and, you know, how they're utilizing him, that's kind of the sad part because, you know, he's a good enough shooter, you know, to hit, you know, four four or five threes a game. He's good enough to where he can, you can justify him taking, you know, eight or nine threes a game. But do you want to use him in a Ryan Anderson type role? Is this a guy who should be developing something along the elbow, who should be comfortable putting the ball on the floor in the half-court setting? That part has been a little bit disappointing to me, and I don't know how much of that, you know, is actually on him or just how he's being utilized. I mean, you look at the system, it's almost just like he's picking and popping or he's always on the outside. You don't really see too much of him, you know, playing, getting the ball in the post and, you know, hitting the cutter or something like that. So a lot of that is, you know, the system they're running to, you know, just simplify things for some guys. But a lot of it has to do with, I don't, I don't think they know what, what he is. I think it's just kind of like, all right, let's see what he turns out to be as opposed to you look at, not to compare the two, but you look at Giannis and his development year after year after year after year. You look at Porzingis just in the limited time, you know, that he's been really, you see like other areas of his game than just being a, with Giannis just being able to, you know, take the ball inside whenever you want. Then Porzingis, you know, just being a seven foot five, you know, floor space and five. You've seen other areas of development. With Laura, you haven't seen that, but he's just been good enough to where, you kind of like, okay, he's good, but you want so much more from him because you see the talent that's there. And, you know, a lot of this system, like I said, but, you know, I'm definitely disappointed in the fact that it's only year two, but I think he should be doing a lot more. I think he can be utilized in a lot of different ways than what they're utilizing him as now. And I think it's going to get to a point in time where they say this Zach, Chris Dunn, Boy, marketing, that's not going to work going forward. I mean, we've you've only seen like a little bit of it, but I've seen enough just to see the 
those guys really don't complement one another at all on the floor. I mean, Laurie is almost like a bailout guy when Zach gets in trouble or when Chris has nothing else to do. He's not really a point guard to me still. He's a he's a combo guard almost. I mean, he's looking to score first, and now you're trying to turn him into a point guard. So I don't think – I think that has a lot to do with Laurie's development, but, you know, I go back to the system. Like, he needs to be put in different situations to – become accustomed to doing other things than just, you know, standing outside on the three-point line waiting for, you know, bailout passes. Yep. That's why I was on board with a certain little guy that's down in Atlanta being the pick. Not so much that I thought he was better than Wendell Carter or a better pick. I just looked at what he would do for the development of Laurie, getting him shots, getting him open, and how he would make other people better. I just felt like he was going to be the better pick. I mean, time would tell Wendell Carter might end up being the big, better player overall. But I just look at the development, especially with the coaching he's getting down in Atlanta and the veteran leadership that he has with guys like Vince Carter, showing him how to be a professional. You know, I'm happy with the development of Trey Young up to this point. I think he's – most people thought – I heard people say he would be a bust. I heard people say he would never be able to take the physicality of the NBA game. I'm happy where, he, where he's at. And before Wendell got hurt, I was happy with what he was doing. I felt like, you know, he would learn not to get into foul trouble and learn how to play the game. But I was very, very happy because I felt like he was the most competitive guy and had the most competitive spirit, and this is sad to say, on the roster. When you have a 19-year-old that's the guy that wants to go out and fight more than anybody else on the roster, that's just not a good look. Man, I mean, the whole situation is dysfunctional, man. Like, I've never seen a situation that needs to be blown up more than this. But how do you blow it up, though? This, I mean, what, what's, I feel like we're on the expressway with zero exits. Like, there is no exit. Who's going to fire him, though? Clean, clean house. You, Why do you, are do they you there? really think Reinsdorf is going to fire those guys? Why are they there? What are they doing? They're not doing anything. Like, I, I agree. I, I mean, I mean, you pretty much almost got a mutiny in the city on the basketball team. Like, nobody's coming out to games no more. So why are they there? Like, like if your job is to assemble a winning team, and not even, I mean, I mean, and at this point, we'll even hold them to a, a lower bar and just say your job is to assemble a competitive product. And you've basically gotten pass after pass after pass because you've lucked up on some pretty good squads. When does that run out? That's the question. Like, when does that run out in Chicago? When does guard pack get their walking paper? Because it's pretty much obvious the success or lack thereof is tied to this front office. And their continued failures is tied to this front office. So why are they still getting checked when everybody else on the team is turned over except these two? It doesn't make any sense. They haven't earned it. They haven't earned the money that they get paid in the positions that they're in. They have not. And nobody can say that they have. And nobody can explain why they're still in their jobs. Because anybody else on the, on the 29 other teams would have been fired five years ago. I agree. I agree. Let's fast forward to what we're dealing with right now. Holiday, your leading scorer. Outside to Davis from the top of the arc. Down the line. Oh! And a tomahawk right hand dunk for Anthony Davis. Can you feel it? I am here for that, Anthony Davis. I don't know if you know or saw the poll. Uh, NBC Sports put it up. Basically, the package that the Bulls, based upon reports from ESPN, that the Bulls might have enough to put a package together to get one, Anthony Davis, who, with his agent Rich Paul and Clutch Sports, his representatives, made it known 
to the New Orleans Pelicans that he would not be signing the max deal and basically put in a trade request that he was eventually fined $50,000 for. Do you actually think the Bulls have enough talent to entice New Orleans to trade Anthony Davis? It's not going to happen. But could the Pelicans actually look at this roster and say, you know what, give me him, 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 and him, and we can think about this? This deal will never get uh, <laughs> It'll never get done. Um, you know, for all the things that we just mentioned previously, I don't think there's any incentive at all for Anthony Davis to come here and play. Now, that's interesting that's because when we talked over the summer, B.C., you said that there was interest at one time for A.D. wanting to come home and play for the Bulls. And you mentioned that there were rumblings. There was a long time ago. But, I mean, it's over with now. It's dead. So what killed that? Are you saying? Are you connecting that to the way that Derek was treated? I'm connecting that to the way that they I'm, – I'm, I'm more so connected to the way they treated Jabari. Okay. More than anything. Um, but, like I said, he, he becomes the third guy, the third hometown guy. Now, they screwed themselves in doing that because what – first of all, what is, because you treated other Chicago guys like this – there's no incentive for me to come play for your team, being a Chicago guy. Secondly, in, in order for me to get there, you're going to have to give up some guys that I would need to make this team competitive enough, competitive enough in the East to make the playoffs and potentially contend for a championship. So that's – I mean, they've screwed it. Like, it's completely done. So, you know, I mean, I know KC wrote the stories and everything like that, and – it's almost laughable that these stories are even being written by Chicago media because these are the same people that turn on Derrick Rose. And they these are the same people. Well, not KC. KC has been pretty consistent, him and, him and Sam Smith. But the fan base and other, you know, local writers, you know, they've turned on guys, man. Like, so all of this stuff is not forgotten about, you know, just because you write some article that's, I mean, where you're basically trying to sell – the appeal of the Bulls to try to get another hometown guy to come here, that's just not going to work anymore. So, And then, even if they were to trade him, I, it would be stupid of the Bulls to give up whatever it is New Orleans want, and they're probably not going to have a guarantee from Anthony Davis that he's going to sign the contract extension. So, just in their handling of things over the past six or seven years has screwed them royally Today, in a time when they needed that, you know what I'm saying, they needed that cash, that they needed that reputation to be able to entice guys, it blew it. Yeah, and I just think, yeah, you know, just with reports coming out like that, I think every every team in the league has to offer you all something when you have a talent like that. I mean, so when I see those reports, I'm looking at it as, all right, you know, that's something Chicago can fall back on. It's like, hey, you know, we saw when Anthony Davis became available, hey, we had an offer out there. It's it's almost like one of those, like, hey, look, we are trying to do something, even though you know there's no way possible that I don't I think they could put together an interesting package, but when you look at in terms of assets and when you look in terms of picks and just players option, if I'm New Orleans, I'm looking at Chicago, like there's there has to be like five guys on this current roster that I want five or four guys. I really can only say there's two of those guys that I would want on my team that would actually fill a need. You know, those other guys was like, ah, not not really. 
You know, so when you go back into reputation also, I mean, AD and Derrick Rose aren't close at all, but like I said, word gets around through the league. I mean, you look at Jabari, all these players see that stuff. If Make a trade for me, you know, if you're AD and, you know, Chicago, like, it's going to be a rental because what you lose but, to get him here, he's, he's going to be in a, a worse situation than he is right now. There's going to be a serious void of talent. That's it. But Chris, you just pretty much get a guy. Go ahead. Check, check, check this out. Not even, not even like to go back to the AD point. He don't even have to be mm-hmm. close to Derrick Rose. He's in the same locker room with Nico. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Nico could basically tell this dude, "Yo, you do not want to go there and play." Like he don't even have to get it from Derrick. He got somebody who was in Chicago who could tell him everything about the inner workings of this organization. This is what I'm talking about. Like this is. This is how out of touch they are with, like, basketball, like the culture of basketball as it exists today, the way these dudes have relationships with each other, the way, it, you know what I'm saying, the way they are friendly with each other. They don't need teams anymore. Like, the appeal is not the team. The appeal is the player. Like, that, like the appeal of playing for the Bulls is dead. I mean, because if that were the case, then the Knicks would have never fell off. They would be able to get a free agent every year. The Lakers will be able to get a free agent every year. So it's not even about the team anymore. Like, that doesn't even matter. So that just goes to show you, like, how they've completely lost, like, all grips with reality of how basketball has advanced and changed, and they've stayed behind. Yeah, and it's still, at the end of the day, it's a relationship, you know, business. When you Whenever there's a free, you look at just the last five, five, Six years. I mean, we, there's been that big superstar, that culture shifting superstar. It, the Bulls really aren't in those conversations at all. You hear the same, you hear the same teams, you know, and that's it's just indicative of what the Bulls have become, just amongst the eyes of, you know, just everybody, media, national media, agents. You know, they soured a lot of people on them, you know, so this is an organization that I see is going to have to get lucky once again, you know, during the draft, you know, draft somebody, draft like that franchise changing talent, and then you're going to have to nurture that, develop it, and you can't mess it up. I mean, the one thing that's going to suck if, you know, this tanking this year, if you get like a, you know, a pick in the like six through 10 range, then what? If they got a top three pick, I'm telling you now, I wouldn't want any of those players to even come here with the way this culture is right now. There's no way I want Zion or RJ on this team. I just don't want them poisoned. Look, it wouldn't even matter. Like, it wouldn't – like, it doesn't matter who they get. That's the whole – like, that's that's the bigger picture. It doesn't matter who they bring in here. The culture is so bad. The culture in Chicago is so bad. Like the talent is is is, is almost an afterthought. Like this team right now has a lot of talent. They have a ton of talent. It shouldn't be this bad because on paper they look very good, but they have a horrible, horrible culture. So whoever comes here, like like I feel bad for eighteen, nineteen year old kid coming to Chicago. Because look what you're coming into. You're coming into dysfunction, and. Last I checked, I mean, Tibbs was the last player development guy that they've had. 
Hoiberg hasn't developed anybody. Boylan isn't developing anybody. So it's like they they're not even like stagnant. Now they're just going backwards. So anybody that they bring in is is technically playing from a disadvantage. There is no advantage in playing for the Bulls. There's, there's no brand advantage for playing for the Bulls anymore. It's like they have to ask themselves like like a real hard question, like what are we doing here? So there's no player in this draft talented enough to overcome the culture of the Bulls? No. I don't think so. C4? They're kids. Yeah, I mean, like you said, these are 19-year-old kids. I mean, if you get an RJ, you get a Zion, like it's you you have to start them off with a coach that's strong, has a reputation. Like you can't like start. Say if you get a Zion, he's gonna put butts in seats. But you know who are his teammates gonna be? They're gonna be the same guys that you know weren't playing right. really up to par the year before. You can't you can't have that because pretty soon it's all all it's gonna take is like ten fifteen games and two. Like oh, okay, this is what this is what it is. <laughs> You know, you don't want that. You know, 19-year-old kid coming into the league, you're impressionable. And, you know, you're around peers who have just gone through, like, this ugly situation a year before. So things have to change. You have to – there has to be, like, a new voice in here to not only get the guys that are currently on the roster to buy in, but this new guy, you know, you have to nurture that talent. I don't think the way this organization is – set up right now with Jim Boylan, who I still think is, you know, a good coach, but not in this situation at all, just with the way how he came into it. But you need you need a stronger, stronger voice. You need somebody that's gonna be able to get these guys respect. I don't know who that is, um, out there, but you can't go through another season like with this at all because it's obvious they're not playing they, I want to say they don't respect. They don't respect some of the things that's going on, and it translates to the play that's on the floor. When you hear Zach Levine yeah. talk after games about teams being worse than them, coming in beating them by twenty points, and he's basically saying, "Yeah, this shouldn't be happening. I don't know what's going on. We're worse than what we were a month ago." I mean, he's basically throwing the coach under the bus, the organization under the bus, and no one seems to care. And the one guy that seemed to care in the locker room when everything was really starting to go downhill, the 19-year-old, he's out with an injury. This organization, you said the butts in seats, we're tired of seeing Benny up on the third level throwing popcorn on people. Stop that. We've seen it enough. Red Panda, Quick Change, all the other halftime guests. Now they've been doing concerts. It's just bad, man. Man, just look, yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're the Bulls and you have to have, like, ticket packages to yeah. where fans are getting popcorn and a drink with their tickets, that's, that's, that's very, bad. That's, that's very, very bad. telling. Yeah, that's sad. Well, look, that's, you know, you. something the Phoenix Suns should be doing, not the Chicago Bulls. And then let me tell you what would be the worst thing in the world for the Bulls, and as crazy as it sounds, if they were to get the number one pick and get Zion. Because I've seen how dumb, Chicago Bulls fan base is. And what makes them dumb is the same reason that makes the front office dumb. It's because they've hung on this six championship reputation. So you get a guy in here like Zion, guess what the mood is going to be? Oh, we going to the playoffs. Oh, it's going to be a championship <laughs> around the corner. Like, that's, 
literally how these fans immediately, think. right? Yeah, immediately, immediately. So now you don't even like you got this nineteen year old kid coming in here with these unrealistic, unrealistic expectations on his back, and then when he doesn't meet these unrealistic expectations, you got the media that turns on him, you got the fans that turns on him. What is the incentive for playing in Chicago in 2019? That's what we got to ask ourselves as sports fans in this town. What is the incentive for anybody to want to come here and play, given the state of the team, the state of the front office, the state of the organization, the state of the fan base, and the state of the local media? Why would anybody want to play here? Well, just to answer that question, because I had a conversation with somebody uh, today, and they were just talking about, you know, with all the free agents uh, next summer, I was like, you know, even with all of those big names, all I was the like, K's. the only name, yeah, I was like, the only name that I could see coming here, and they would have to essentially overpay him, would be Tobias Harris, like, mm-hmm. that's where the Bulls pretty much are, like, Come in on, terms man. of Come on, being man. able to recruit. Tobias is a great player, but he's not moving the needle in terms of like getting the average fan to boot. go to a Bulls game. Yeah, in terms of like when you look at the the tier of star in this league, great, good young player, but you know, not franchise changing. You know, he's a definite piece. Like they would have to essentially max him out to get him here. I I see that situation happening. And you know what's even more frustrating? We can honestly look back maybe two to three years ago and say that the Brooklyn Nets were in hard. They made a terrible trade with Boston. Horrible. Set Boston up for the next four to five years in this championship run that they're on right now. Left for dead by most people in the NBA. And look where they are right now in comparison to the Chicago Bulls. Like people are actually talking about the Brooklyn Nets being contenders for some of these big-time free agents instead of the New York Knicks. But what's the difference? They changed up their yeah, whole I mean, internal yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fire Billy Hunter. I mean, that move yeah. was essentially, you know, what got him what got him fired. I mean, you'll probably never have a, you know, another general manager job again. But they had oh, to yeah, pretty done. much Yeah, they pretty much had to start from just the ground up. I mean, they had no picks, so they had to be very smart with you know, maneuvering, acquiring talent, developing that talent. I mean, and the one good thing they had for them is just that move to Brooklyn. So even then, once you got – they were aggressive first, so they made an aggressive move, ended up not working, and then they had to build up to the point they are. But now when you look in terms of, like, the fact that they're in the conversation for guys to want to pair up to go there, that's telling because now it's like – players are watching this like, okay, we see what you've been doing for the last five, five to six years. Then you look at the Bulls the last five or six years, you're like, yeah, we don't. Situation doesn't look, the fact that Brooklyn's situation looks more appeasing, just how they've been able to rebound from that and what they've built, the culture, they've actually set a real culture there. Then when you go to the Bulls situation, it's almost like the opposite and that, and that, to me, like, baffles me. Well, the Chicago organization is in a bad place, but this is truly a great year for Chicago kids. 
Despite Jabari, man, he came off, played well the other night in limited minutes. Uh, he tried to make him a scapegoat. I still think he's a valuable piece that somebody will make a move to try and get him at the trade deadline and will help out a pretty good team in the playoffs. You have Derrick Rose, his renaissance up in Minnesota. And, of course, Anthony Davis is out, and Big Ja is on a roll. Another 27-12 and 12 tonight. His last five games have been phenomenal. So I'm happy to see what these Chicago kids are doing in the NBA. And D-Wade, of course, being treated as he should be treated after his stellar career. I'm happy for Chicago oh, guys. Yeah. Just don't feel good about the organization they grew up watching. I got a I got a question for you guys. Right. I'm pretty sure you guys saw you saw what KC wrote. Would bringing Derek, Derek back? Rose back? Yeah, would bringing him back kind of solve some of the issues, just in terms of just an optic standpoint and mending fences and you know just other players looking at that? Could that help? Because even if you go back to the wage situation and falling out with Pat Riley, the fact that as headstrong and competitive as Pat Riley is, the fact that he actually came out and admitted, hey, you know, I could have done some things better. That's huge for a guy like Pat Riley. Well, he said the same thing about the LeBron situation a couple of years after that. So, But I understand what you're saying with the relationship he had with D-Wade. I look at it like this, C4. They got the right one. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you see a situation and you think, like, there's no way in the world anybody could do that to me because you know Mm -hmm. how you are. When it comes to Derrick Rose, the way the Bulls treated him, I think the Bulls got the right one because I think any other guy that's a Chicago guy probably would have snapped and handled a lot of things totally different. Just the dude that Derrick is, I can see the window being open to a return because of who he is, especially if there was a sit-down and as much as he wants things to be right with this organization in this city, I can see him wanting to be a part of that. I just don't want him to come back. I just don't. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. Is there a chance in my mind? Yeah. I think it's, if if a sit down happens and they're honest and they say this is we want you to, this is what we need you to do, we need you to change the culture for our organization. That might get to him. They might reach him on a sentimental level. But other than that, uh, especially with Tibbs being on in Minnesota, I don't know how loyal he is to Ryan Saunders. It seems like they still have a good relationship. Um, It could happen. I don't know. But I think Derek is going to get a better contract than he's playing on right now this summer. Oh, yeah. So will the Bulls be be wanting to pay him? Yeah, that's the that's Substantially the more. Exactly. It, it, you know what? When KC wrote that article, it was almost like he wrote it for the organization to throw the bait out into the water. Mm-hmm. That's the way I felt. Like, okay, this is the first step. They're trying to make it known. Derek, we're sorry. Through back channels. Like, man, let's talk about it over the summer. And when I read the article, I'm like, man, I, I was feeling, I was hearing, I was reading the article and I'm saying, yeah, man, I feel you, but it's too late. Like, it's just too late. Like, you should have just treated him right from the stamp, from the jump. When you traded him, you pretty much snatched his soul. And then after that, the continued injuries, a lot of people counted him out, counted him for dead. 
Tibbs comes and gets him off the scrap heap. He bust, he's busting 50, could be up for six man of the year, most improved player. I mean, the story is goes without saying, man. It's one of the best NBA stories of the season and probably of the last three or four years, other than maybe Paul George returning to form in OKC yeah. after his horrific injury. So, honestly, nah. I mean, the fan in me says, yes, I would love to see Derek play here every night. Absolutely. I would love to see him correct some things and change the culture and the brand. But should he should – he, uh, yeah, you know, it's a tough. You know what, C four? I want Derek to be Derek, and whatever Derek does, I'm cool with it, because he's just that type of dude. I think he's a really upstanding dude, has a really big heart, and if he's cool with it and he's cool with returning, I'm cool with it. I'm just gonna leave it with that. BC, I, BC is just straight silent. Like you, oh man, I think that'd be the worst thing you could do. Come back here. You know, like I said, you know, I said it early. You know, this this town, like he's like like he's one of those people that they didn't treat right. You know, and that's something like Derek never forgot forgot about. You know, and if you you know if you sit down and talk to him long enough about it, it'll come up. Um, so now I you know I don't I don't think I think the Derek Rose thing is basically almost like just just an example of how bad things have gotten around here, you know, where, you know, you, you're you're looking at a guy who's had a resurgence in his own career, you know, after leaving Chicago and everybody thought he was dead, you know, or left him for dead anyway as a basketball player. You know, he was basically out of the league, as he said, um, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's playing well, he's getting, you know, he's gotten to basically an all-star level, and now everybody's writing stories about him coming back as if, None of the stuff that happened that surrounded him leaving, like like as if none of that stuff occurred, you know, like as if that stuff happened, forgotten about, didn't happen, or if it won't be on Derek's mind. So, you know, I it's to me it's the same thing with Anthony Davis' story, right? Like this team has been so bad and so non-competitive for so long that it's almost like you know just a reach to see who else we can get in here, and it just happens to be two Chicago guys. But, um, you know, to the Derrick Rose point, nah, man, like if I was him, I would stay far away from Chicago, just far away because who's to say that it won't happen again? You know, if he comes back and he gets hurt, you know, we know how fickle the fans are. We know how fickle the local media is. Like if he gets hurt, like who's to say that they won't turn on him again? So, nah, it's not. To me, that whole thing was probably a good – it was a better story than it was, like, going to be any actual reality. I don't think Derek comes back. You're listening to According to Sources with BCSD and C4 right here on A2S Network. I don't know about crazy, but I think they're going to get things to think about. And yeah. the way the Pelicans are looking at this is someone has to blow us away here in the next week to 10 days. We've got to look at, we've got to see a deal and say, wow, we we We've got to take this, and if they don't, if they don't feel that strongly about it, they know they can wait. And this is Anthony Davis. All right, the very first podcast we did right here on A Two S. Once again, SD Two Mics, Mister Crawford D. Follow him on Instagram at C Four Dunk, Twitter, Instagram. The first podcast we did, we talked about Anthony Davis of the New Orleans Pelicans signing with Clutch Sports and how impactful or how powerful. 
Clutch Sports and LeBron James will become in the NBA. Now that we have the situation as it is today, with him making his power move, Clutch Sports announcing that he will not be resigning the max deal with the New Orleans Pelicans in the summer of 2020, basically saying, look, I want to be traded to the L.A. Lakers. That's basically what they're saying. How impactful was this not only with Anthony Davis, but what could be the tremors down the road for future free agents and future players if the Lakers indeed get Anthony Davis? I mean, I think that'd be set for a long time. Speaking of the Lakers. I mean, you, yeah. If you, I mean, if you're the Lakers leave Anthony Davis, you're good because, you know, you've already set yourself up beyond the, you know, LeBron era or however long he's going to be there. Um, I think the problem in L.A., again, you know, in terms of trying to get Anthony Davis, if you if you go about it the trade route, what are you going to have to give up to get him? And what would you give him for players? Come, huh? Do you give them four players if you're the Lakers right now? Yeah, Let's but just say Ball, Davis. Ingram, Zubac, two number ones, and KCP or either uh, Hart. But if I'm Anthony Davis, like, what's my, like, what's my incentive? Like, if I'm giving up, like, if you're trading up the whole core for me, then how does this help me win? Like, now you're gambling on free agency. Yeah, you got LeBron, you, yeah, you got, you know, you got um, Anthony Davis in the mix. But let me play devil's advocate. Let me play devil's devil's advocate. You have a B option out there that could be Kimball Walker, right? Let's just go about this, and let's just build line upon line, precept upon precept. Yeah, I did throw that in there. Three weeks ago, we have Kyrie snapping in Orlando, right? Shortly after that, phone call to LeBron, public apology. Last week, LeBron teasing on Instagram, tagging Kyrie, playing Fetty Wap. Is it a possibility that if they get AD, that Kyrie could revisit playing with LeBron and signing with the Lakers over the summer? Uh, I mean, there's always a possibility, man. Like, anything is possible. Um, how far fetched is it? How far fetched? How far fetched is it? I mean, you've heard what Kyrie said. He's come to his senses to say, at least, you know what? Maybe I was tripping a little bit with some of the things LeBron was trying to say and do, and maybe I overreacted because I was that young guy that I'm dealing with now here in Boston. Has he come to the point that he's back ready to play with LeBron, or is that just him saying, man, my bag, but I'm still ready to move on and do my thing? I think Kyrie knows better than anybody that LeBron is probably the toughest person to play with. Simply because, not necessarily just, not because of the talent that he brings to the floor, but just everything off it. You know, when when the team does well, LeBron's going to get the praise. When he does poorly, he won't get any of the blame. You know what I'm saying, and 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 I think that's what Kyrie got tired of the whole thing with him and you know him and LeBron reuniting. I don't necessarily think it's a beef between those two, but I believe that when I see that, like I just you know I think it sounds better than what it is. Like I don't I don't I don't have Kyrie as being 
I mean, at least on my radar, as being a potential Laker. I don't have that. C4, how do you see it? I mean, how do you see the situation? If you're the Lakers, do you give up four players in a pick or three players in two picks? Uh, I mean, you essentially to get a guy like Anthony Davis, you give up what New Orleans is asking for. I mean, KCP, it does have to be in there just to make the money work, but you give up what's, what's asked of you. I mean, if we look at just the pieces that they would be giving up if you got Paul, Hart, like uh, Kuzma even, and Ingram, like, it's still early. You don't know what, especially with Kuzma and Ingram, you don't really know what the ceiling is. But in terms of winning right now, you can essentially say those guys are role players. And you can get role players. When you have a starting lineup and you got Anthony Davis and LeBron in it, you know, you're kind of set. And your window really is, even with LeBron signed there, that window essentially to me is, the length of his contract, three to four years. Like, I don't know if LeBron can rep how long he can keep playing at this level, but I always said that this roster currently as is wouldn't be the roster that the Lakers would finish with because I never, like, took it as he would just accept playing this year out and then going into next summer. This guy's 34 years old. I mean, you're defying age and father time, yet you never know what could happen. And, you know, Biggest thing is seeing that groin injury and seeing how quickly he used to bounce back from little minor injuries to missing, what, 16 games now. The the Kyrie situation, I agree with BC. It was always – LeBron is hard to play with. For as much as people talk about that block in the Game 7, it's crazy how that shot – how that's, like, glossed over. Like, nobody talks about – the shot Kyrie hit. Nobody talks about the fact that Kyrie, I think, was averaging like 30 just for like the last four four games and outplayed Steph Curry throughout that entire series. So from that standpoint, I can understand the frustration with Kyrie. It's just like, dude, like, I balled my ass off, man. Yeah, we're talking about LeBron returned back home, man. He made his promise. But yeah, look at what I did. You know, against a two-time MVP. Right the unanimous MVP. Why are we talking about me in that light? But I think just with him having to go through this situation with being in this, having his own situation with Boston and trying to lead his own way and try and incorporate some of those things he probably learned from LeBron, learned from LeBron and kind of seeing what it is. Would he go back to playing with them? I'm not certain because I do think Kyrie likes being the guy on this very talented team. I don't know if he can go back and take, you know, kind of a backseat, even though LeBron is on the tail end. I don't know if he can go back to that supplementary role unless LeBron is willing to take a backseat, you know, as his career, like, you know, is on the down slope. But anything can happen, man. But we talked about this during the first podcast. All this stuff is entertainment now when you see LeBron in the yeah. Instagram story and then he's tagging Kyrie that's just that's just something to give you know media media people talking heads you know a couple segments talk about it for like a few hours but you know I don't know it's a possibility I don't see it happening but we have the palm trees and warm weather in LA and anything anything is possible well it's basically 10 days for Magic Johnson to get a deal done um 
some other teams can make deals that might have a package better than the Los Angeles Lakers as far as picks and a few players. But with everyone knowing that that's the destination that he wants to go to as far as Los Angeles and to play with LeBron, it's basically an open door for Dale Demps and Magic Johnson to sit down and see if they can iron something out. And if they can't, then you bring the Boston Celtics into play. Uh, Chris, we talked about it via text. You know, the Celtics, they're definitely going to come after Anthony Davis, but, you know, they have to deal with re-signing Kyrie. Is he going to re-up? Are they going to offer him the max? If they don't offer him the max, then once again, what BC has been telling us for the longest, does Brooklyn or the Knicks come into play? And we just threw out another suitor. Do the L.A. Lakers become a suitor for one Kyrie Irving? So it's going to be a very interesting summer with the summer of K's being free agents with the likes of Kawhi, Clay, Kyrie, Kimba. It's just crazy how many K's are free agents this this summer. So we'll see. As far as the big picture, we've seen Jimmy Butler, Kyrie, Kawhi, and now Anthony Davis all before their last year in their contract pretty much start the process to get themselves out of their current situation to a more desirable destination. Is this a bad thing, especially with the new CBA negotiations negotiations coming up? Do you feel like this is something the league will revisit and say, yo, we have to put a stop to this and give a little bit more control back to the teams? I mean, well, just looking at the way the CBA was constructed, you know, it was made so, you know, guys had this incentive for these small market teams to stay where they were at, but, you know, it's ended up kind of backfiring on them. I yeah, because AD's I think been there just, for, what, seven, seven, six, seven years? Yeah. 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 And he did sign his, he, his deal, his extension initially, so hmm. – I yeah, guess. I mean, and it's like I say it is backfire. I think with guys who've already made close to, we look at those five year maxes. Oh, this guy, you know, he wouldn't turn down this amount of money, and we're seeing <laughs> a lot of those guys are turning it down. Right. So I don't know if the league can you can't really go back now and like try and restructure. I mean, for smaller market teams, that that sucks because. You know, it's hard to get guys there. I mean, and when you have a talent like AD to have to, you know, trade them away, like I said, it push your franchise in a hole. There's a like a five to seven year period where you're just trying to climb, climb back out of that hole. Um, I don't know what can be done, but we're starting to see now guys are taking, taking their future into their own hands. And with AD's situation, I think. Is good because you, you've given the organization. You're still on the contract for a year and a half, but now you've given them like a window to pretty much get some of the best offers now, or even make a you know a wink wink agreement with Boston, and then you know complete that in summer. Right. Um, yeah. So some have been different, but I don't know. Just as far as being able to change anything to get these guys to stay at a certain place. I mean, if guys are turning down these big contract offers, you really can't do anything because now you're essentially, you can't penalize a guy for wanting to move around. I mean, Anthony Davis has been in New Orleans, what, six, seven? 
seven years. I mean, they had all of that time. And you look at what he dealt with during that time. You look at the medical staff, some of the issues that were there. I mean, they had more than enough time to try and put something together in that time. And I think if you're a rookie coming into this league, that really six, seven years out of your life is a long time, especially when you're talking about the prime of your career. You know, you shouldn't be penalized for wanting to go to, you know, a situation you think is better that can lead you to what you want. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting going forward just to see. I mean, just to find that guy, what, 50000 I think that's kind of laughable, but it's kind of a way for the, for Adam Silver to be like, hey, look at this, Dale Dems. Like, look, we, we care about we care about what you're saying. It's like, here, we're going to find him this. But typically, I, I don't see how you can find a guy from, you know, he's done essentially the same thing. Guys like Jimmy, Kawhi, they have done. So to find him was kind of, it's just like a PR move to me. A2S, you can follow us on SoundCloud. According to sources, A2S uh, Digital Network. Also, you can check us out. Type in A2S Digital Network on iTunes to get us there. And soon we'll be on Spotify as well. I am SD2Mikes. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at SD2Mikes. At C4Dunk, Chris Kaysen. C4 Dunk on both platforms and of course Brian Crawford at Mr. Crawford 4D. You can follow him on Instagram as well. Uh, we'll get back at you soon. Talk about trade deadline stuff and see what's happening after the All-Star break. This is A2S, A2S Digital Network right here. We'll get back at you. <laughs>